0: Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6, page 1030, if you're using a Bible provided. What a blessing it is to be together, to be encouraged by singing the truth of God's Word. And it's encouraging to hear you sing the truth of God's Word. Uh, I can sing all week long, and I usually do, in the car, in the shower, in various places, annoying people around me. Um, but it is a joy to sing with you and to hear you sing, so praise God for that. True religion is religion that is lived before the face of God. Corum Deo, a Latin phrase, before the face of God. True religion is not lived before the face of men. We started talking about that last week as we started in Matthew chapter 6, talking about what true religion is, how to practice, how to live out what true religion is as opposed to false religion. So for those of you who were here this week, how much did you think about the fact that you lived every moment before the face of God? Did you think about that this week? Did it come to mind that God was there? Did it it affect you in any way? Was there greater joy in the presence of God? Were you more aware of the battle between pleasing God and pleasing man that rages in your heart? Did Did you think about how often you thought about what do people think about this or what does God think about this? Did you become more aware of your fear of man? Did you grow in your fear of God? That, that is what this section in Matthew chapter 6 is supposed to do. Matthew chapter 6 all the way through uh, verse 18 is to really uh, solidify in our minds that the, that the religion that we live out, the religion that we practice is the religion we live out before God before his face on a daily basis, every moment of every day to bring these that reality to bear upon how we live. And I hope it is working and changing your life. Before we dig into our passage this morning, let's pray together. Our Father, we need you to remind us. We need you to stir up within us. We need your Holy Spirit to work, first of all, for understanding and then Second of all, for application and conviction. And then third of all, for change. We cannot change apart from your work. And so, Lord, work in us. Have your way in us. Lord, do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow along in your Bible as I read Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is God's holy, and errant and inspired word. Hear it this morning. Our theme for this section of Scripture is the fact that uh, King Jesus has the authority to tell His disciples how to live before the face of God. King Jesus has the authority to tell us what true religion is and how to practice it. And the, the overarching The idea for this whole section is in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. True religion is God-glorifying, not self-glorifying. If you live your religion in front of others to be seen by them, then what you want from them, from people, is to be glorified. You want self-glorification. And God has created all things for his own glory. And we are to live our lives before the face of God, not before the face of man, because that brings glory to God, first of all. True religion seeks God's approval, not people's approval. I don't want to be seen by others. I want to be seen by God. Why? Because I want God to be pleased. I want God to approve. I don't need the likes, the shares, the approval, the praise, the affirmation of people. I live for God's approval. I live for God's glory. That is verse 1, and that overrides the entire section. So last week, we saw how we are to give before the face of God. And this week, we're going to see how to pray before the face of God. And the first thing we see in verses 5 and 6 is the right audience for prayer. The right audience for prayer. Again, what you have to see at the beginning and when you pray. It is assumed that Christians will be practicing the religious duties. It is assumed that Christians will give. It is assumed here that Christians will pray. When you pray, not if you pray. Matthew Henry says this, It is taken for granted that all the disciples of Christ pray. You may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. So we're not talking here about the fact of whether you should pray or not, It is assumed that those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, those who are Christians, will give. They will pray. And then, third, we'll see next week, not next week, in a couple weeks, they will fast. So we have to, though, understand that we are to pray with the right audience in mind. Religious hypocrites pray for an audience of many. You must not be like the hypocrites. Why not? Why not be like them? Because the hypocrites stand and pray that they may be seen by others. Their audience is people. They, they pray to an audience of many because they want people to see them. And the question for us is, who, who do we want to see us pray? Who do you want to know that you are praying? I don't know. I've never seen this on Facebook, and again, I'm not knocking Facebook, but it's just one of those opportunities we have to think about why we do what we do. But uh, tomorrow morning, in your quiet time, you just need to get a, a picture, and it's you and your Bible, and with your head bowed, and take a snapshot, and then post that. My time together with the Lord this morning. Just want to make sure everybody knew I, I I got it in. Now I've never seen anybody do that, but think about what that what that means. I mean, who do I want to know? Well, I pray every morning. I pray for this long. Who do I want to know that I am praying? Hypocrites only care about people seeing them. Religious hypocrites do not love to pray. They love to pray in public. Do you notice the difference? Hypocrites do not love to pray. They love to pray in public. They want to be seen by people. Hypocrites love public praying because they are motivated by being seen by people as religious They're motivated by being seen by people as religious. The problem isn't praying publicly. The problem is the motivation for praying publicly. Why do I pray in the synagogue? Why do I pray on the street corner? Why would I do that? Now what he is condemning isn't public prayer. So if you think about the fact that this is condemning public prayer, then you would realize that Jesus would have condemned much of what already took place here this morning. We had a prayer of praise. Brian prayed a prayer of praise. I prayed a prayer of confession and a prayer of thanksgiving. And I prayed a prayer of illumination. Already four times in 30 minutes we have violated the passage about if it's talking about public prayer. So Jesus is not condemning praying out loud or praying in front of other people. He is condemning public prayer that's aimed to be seen by others. The motivation is the issue. So John Calvin says this, We are commanded in many passages to pray to God or to praise Him in the public assembly amidst a crowd of men and before all the people. And that for the purpose, not only of testifying our faith or gratitude, but also of exciting others by our example to do the same. Christ does not withdraw us from such an exercise, but only admonishes us to have God always before our eyes when we engage in prayer. Who Are we looking to in prayer? Is God before our eyes, or are people before our eyes? One of the things that strikes me the most is an illustration of this, is I was a young pastor in Newport Ritchie, Florida, and uh, they always had had a Tuesday morning men's prayer breakfast. And we would meet at the church, I think it was like 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., and we would pray, and because it's 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., it was all retirees, First of all, because the church was mostly retirees, but because anybody who had to work a job was probably on their way to their job at seven o'clock or eight o'clock. And we would meet for prayer, and then we'd go out for breakfast. And I remember one morning, it's just striking, I cannot forget it. We went to prayer, and there might sometimes be 20 of us, and we'd all, not all go out to prayer, but sometimes it'd be a large group, and we'd get tables, and we'd sit together and, and eat these breakfasts that old people like to eat. And, uh, and we'd sit down, and I'm 22 years old, 23 years old, and someone, we need to ask someone to pray. And I remember one time, this older gentleman stands up, He says, let us pray. Now, we're, we're a big table. We're in this restaurant, public restaurant. And then he prays this long prayer for our food. And he prays the gospel. And he prays for souls to be saved. And everybody in the restaurant could hear him. Don't do that. All right? That's not to be done. All right? But what What are we most tempted to do is how when was the last time you did that? You were at Applebee's, and it was time for your family to eat a meal, and so you stood up at the end of your table and you said, family, let us pray, let us bow for prayer, and then loudly prayed for your meal. When was the last time you ever did that? Probably none of you have done that. But when was the last time that you were in Applebee's and you didn't pray for your food as a family? Or you didn't pray for your food as an individual? I told the story before, but it's so appropriate here. This is me at the lunch table as a child and a teenager. I knew I was to pray for my food at lunch, and I would pray at school for my food. But you remember the story, right? I would drop the napkin. I would have a headache. I would uh, I need to check my shoe for something, and then I would silently pray with, because I didn't want anybody to see me simply do this and they eat my food but I didn't want to not pray for my food because I'm not supposed to pray for my food. So you see what I do? Most of us are not tempted to pray loudly in public. Most of us are tempted to not pray at all in public. So I I just want you to see that. But what's so amazing about this is, is that why do people fear public speaking? They are afraid what people will think of them. Why do people fear public praying. Because they're afraid of what people will think about them, right? You you know what this is about. The same answer is the answer of why people are afraid to be doing things in public. But what's so amazing is that the same reason that people are afraid to pray publicly is the same reason that some people love to pray publicly, I don't want to pray publicly because I'm afraid of what people will think or say. But I love to pray publicly. Other people love to pray publicly. Why? They love to know what people will think or say about them. Do you see the, the similarities? Do you see the connection? And what's, what's the similar motivation for both people, both people who are afraid and don't want to pray and people who love to pray? It's people. It's fear of man. Some people love the approval of others and they'll pray publicly. Some people fear the 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 words of others or their lack the disapproval of others and it's the same motivation. I don't know if that strikes you as significant or not. And so A B Bruce says this because it shows up with the same problem. We are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. We are to show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. There are times in public, there are times out in the world when we are tempted to put our light under the basket, right? Matthew chapter 5, 16. Don't hide your light. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. But we are tempted to hide the light, and in those moments, what should we do? We should show it. What should I have done as a teenager when I was tempted to hide the fact that I was praying for my lunch? No, I should not have stood up and prayed out loud and verbally. I should not have done that. But I should have unashamedly bowed my head and prayed and not been worried. I should have showed that I love my God more than the approval of man. And if we are tempted at the lunch table at school to stand up and pray public prayers, what should we do? We should hide. Not hide that we're praying, but pray silently and quietly to ourselves. Because to love the approval of man or fear the approval of man is both the fear of man. And we pray here. We pray public prayers on purpose. We pray long public prayers on purpose. Because public praying is vital for what we do as a church family. It's a vital aspect of worship. But whoever is doing the praying should not be praying for what others think. But we do pray for the edification of those in the church, So we do want you to learn more about prayer by listening to the prayers. We want you to learn what to pray for and to learn how to pray. But we're not doing it so that you think, wow, that person can really pray. We are praying so that God will be glorified. We pray before the face of God for the edification of the saints and for sometimes the evangelism of the lost, even in our church services. And so public prayer is vital, but we have to understand that all of our prayers, public and private, are to be prayed before the face of God. And I guess I would be remiss if I would talk about public prayer and not talk about Sunday evening prayer service. And and my question for you is, why don't you come and pray together publicly as a church family? I've heard many people, I don't know how many, who say that the reason they don't come on Sunday night is because they fear praying out loud. They fear praying in public. And, And I can understand that. But do you pray on Sunday night for the approval of man or do you pray for the approval of God? Do you pray for God's glory or do you pray for self-glory? Come and pray because we need to be praying. Come and pray because of the reasons for prayer we're going to talk about in a minute. Don't stay away from prayer meeting because of fear of man. Confess that fear, trust God, and come and work through that because it's important, because public praying is vital to what God wants to do in our church family. If you think about the church as a family, when does our family pray together? And if you think about your family at home, and you say, well, we never pray together as a family because mom and dad and the kids are all afraid of what everybody else at the dinner table is going to think about them. Now, have you ever had people in your family, hopefully it's just the children, make fun of someone praying in public? After devotions or at the dinner table, they laugh and we giggle and we make fun. Yeah, of course, it can be a problem. But do we as families at home pray together, pray out loud because we understand the importance of prayer and doing that together? When the church family gathers to pray, we should be here because the family needs to pray together. And there's an opportunity tonight at 6 o'clock. Now, we're gonna start uh, a new study out of the book of Micah. Uh, And so if you wanna come and start with that study, Micah chapters 1 and 2, and then we'll pray together as well. And so... uh, Are we praying together? Are we publicly praying? Are we praying as a church family? Number two, the only reward that hypocrites receive is the recognition of people. The only reward that hypocrites receive is people's recognition. They are praying to be seen by others. And what does Jesus say? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This is what Jesus is correcting The recognition of people is the reward, and it is the only reward they will receive. If you pray for other people, then people's recognition, people's approval, people's likes, people's shares, is all that you will receive. Letter B, Christians pray for an audience of one, and that is God. Christians pray for an audience of one. We pray to God. We pray to our Father who is in secret. And every prayer we pray, whether publicly or privately, is prayed before our Father. And so the application here and the things we must think about is that your public prayer life must flow out of your private prayer life. Your private prayer life informs your public prayer life. If the only time you pray is in public, then you never pray for your Father's attention. You never pray for your Father's reward. And this also tells us that our longest prayer should be in private, not in public. Sunday night prayer meeting is not the time to come and to impress others by how you pray. Sunday night prayer meeting is not the time to come and pray for everything on the list and leave no one else on the group anything in the list to pray for. Sunday night prayer is not to come and pray in a way that you don't pray individually. You pray a little bit different because you're praying around other people. But if your longest prayers are public prayers, then you've got the wrong motivation. So I would just let you know this. If you think that Sunday morning when I pray, the pastoral prayer. If you think those are my longest prayers, you should come and pray with me some other time during the week. So the idea here is that this is not, the public praying is not the time for us to demonstrate our ability to pray. It flows out of our private prayer life into our public prayer life. So I think probably maybe the greatest reason we're not praying as much together as a church, why so many of us don't gather for public praying is because we don't do much private praying. I think that's probably our, our, our greatest motivation to stay away. We do, fear other, we do fear man, and there's an issue there, of course. But I think there's nothing there to bank on. I don't have much of a prayer life to pray with you because I don't have any prayer life to pray singly. I think that's a challenge for us. I remember growing up as a kid and coming out. Uh, I was an early riser in those days, as some of you might have kids who are early risers. Well, my mom was the first one up uh, almost every morning. She got up about 6.30, 6.15. Uh, she got her shower first. We lived in the days when there was one bathroom in a house for five people. Anybody remember that? Or ten people? And you had, like, the, the water, you had to share the water, share the bathroom. She got up first, had her shower, got cleaned up, and then she would sit in the living room with her open Bible and, and have her time with the Lord. And I would catch her when I got up in the morning. I would catch her reading her Bible and praying. And I remember, uh, I remember getting up, and I remember my mom sitting in her chair with her head bowed for 15, 20 minutes every day, silently. What was she doing? She was praying. My mom, I don't remember my mom ever praying a prayer behind a pulpit in a church service. She would pray in groups. We did the same thing in in the church I grew up in that we do here. We break into prayer groups on Sunday night and we would pray together. And so I've heard my mom pray at dinner. I've heard my mom pray in other times. I never heard her pray in a public gathering. But I saw her pray every day of my life silently without saying a word in front of me. Who was she praying for and who was she praying to? And that private prayer life fed any prayer life she would have in front of others. This is what we're talking about. How is your private prayer life and how does that overflow into your public prayer life together as a church family? Christians pray for an audience of one because God rewards secret prayer. God rewards secret prayer. What is the reward? The reward of secret prayer, the reward of a personal, private prayer life, the reward of someone who goes into their prayer closet. Do you ever wonder where that word prayer closet came from? That's what it came from in this passage, right? Do you have a prayer closet? It's like, what? There's a closet we go into, like a specific prayer closet? No. It's just a metaphor for the idea of going into a secret place, going into a place by yourself. The reward for that kind of prayer is a dynamic, life-changing fellowship with God. Do you want to have life-changing fellowship with your heavenly Father? Then pray privately. What else comes out of that? Answered prayers, a changed heart, all kinds of rewards. Your Father who is in secret will reward you. He will see, he will hear. Why? Because he's there in the closet with you. You're not alone in that closet. You're not alone in your private place. You're not alone in the woods. You are there with your father. You are praying. He sees, he hears, he answers. And the greatest answer is a changed heart and a life-changing relationship with him. More about that in a minute. That leads us to our second point, the right understanding of prayer. First of all, we must have the right audience, but then secondly, we need some right understanding. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. This empty phrases in the ESV is translated meaningless repetition. It's vain repetition. It's also a type of babbling. So don't babble. Don't repeat meaningless, empty phrases repetitiously. And the reason for the pagans doing that is pagans pray repetitiously because they believe that the power is in the act of praying that the power is in the act of praying. And so what we have is we have people who aren't Jewish, who aren't praying necessarily to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but but all religions have the duty of prayer. All religions pray. And so you have Eastern Eastern religions that have the form of of a mantra. Have you heard of the word mantra? Hey, do you have a mantra? Well, the mantra is uh, repetitious words that are repeated without end. That's Eastern and Hinduism and Buddhism. They, they pray like that. But it's also in Christian religions. Some of you grew up in religions where you would be told to pray so many Our Fathers or to pray so many Hail Marys. What was the point of that? Why 10? Why 15? Why 35 times? Because the power is not in the prayer. It's not necessarily in the words. The power is just in the act. The more you pray, the longer you pray, the more something will happen. So just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it so many times. That's the power. Now, repetition isn't necessarily being condemned. Jesus doesn't say, only say something once, that to say it two or three times, you're just being vain and repetitious. Empty phrases. No. What he's saying here is the motivation behind the empty phrases. I'm repeating the same thing over and over because I think that the power is in the act itself. I just have to do the act. How many times have you heard people say, prayer has power? How many times have you said it? Don't raise your hand. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. I'm not gonna say that that's wrong, but I'm gonna say, what's the, why is the reason that prayer has power? It would be better for us to say what? The God that we pray to is powerful. powerful. The God that we ask things for is here and hears and acts. It's not that the act of prayer has power. It's not like if we all got together on Sunday night, something would magically happen because all of us are praying. No, because the God we cry out to is the God of power who can do whatever he chooses to do. No one can stay his hand, and he wants to hear from his people, and he wants to respond to prayer. And that's where power is, not just in simply praying. pagans secondly letter b pray eloquent or long prayers because they believe they can manipulate god into giving them what they want it's a form of manipulation they think they can wear their god down do you remember the story of the false prophets of baal in first Kings 17 trying to get fire to fall down from heaven and burn up the sacrifice and they pray all morning right that didn't work so what do they do to get their god to answer they cry out louder and they cut themselves and they pray more passionately and their God is not an answer. And what does Elijah do? You say, I wish our pastor prayed like Elijah. You know, 25 words. <laughs> and fire falls from heaven. Maybe that's the secret, right? And so fi- it's, not, it's not the fact that we are here to pray longer and longer. And the longer we pray and the more eloquently we pray that, that, that things will happen. No, Jesus says don't be like them. Do not think that you can manipulate God. Why not? Because your father already knows what you need before you ask. Remember what Elijah said to those false prophets? Well, maybe your God is sleeping. Or maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. It doesn't say it in those words, but it, you, can, you can understand if you read it. Right? That, you, you, gotta, you gotta wake him up like he doesn't know what's going on down here. Was that Elijah's problem? No. God knew he was there. And so that's what we have to understand. In Isaiah 65, verse 24, what does God say? Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God already knows that you're going to pray before you pray. Before you call. Before they call, I will answer. Now, some people use this promise as a motivation not to pray they flip this passage on their head, and they say, hey, if the Father knows what you're going to ask before you ask Him, then you don't even need to ask Him, which is exactly the opposite of Jesus' point. Jesus says, the fact that your Father knows what you're going to ask Him is your motivation to ask Him. Have your kids ever came to you and asked you for something that you knew they were going to ask for? But you hadn't given it to them yet? You hadn't done what you, they wanted you to do Yet? Maybe you overheard them talking. Oh, we, we want to do this, we want to do that. Well, so you go ask him. No, you go ask him. And they come out. I, I don't, there's, there's so many illustrations that can come to mind here, but the idea is this is the motivation to pray. God knows what you're going to ask, so pray. Not God knows what you're going to ask, so hey, who needs to ask? Remember, prayer is assumed. When you pray, know that your Father hears and knows and is already going to act. So, this isn't a sermon about the necessity of prayer. It is a sermon about the motivation of prayer. The necessity is already assumed. And the fact that God knows all things is our motivation to pray. He knows He's there. He sees every hurt, every pain, every sorrow, every difficulty. He knows. He's ready to act. He's ready to respond. He's there to hear. He's there to listen. So talk to him. What kind of relationship would you have with God if you never had to ask him for everything you needed and he just gave and gave and gave and gave and you never had to say please, you never had to say thank you? What is prayer about? Well, Christians, we pray simply directly, sincerely. There's a lot of other things we could say, but there's a few things. Christians pray simply, directly, sincerely. You might pray for a long time. You might pray for a short time. Pray simply, directly, sincerely. Because first of all, prayer isn't informing God. It is our fellowship with our Father. God doesn't need a rundown of your day as if He didn't know what was going on. God, did you see? It's, it's, it's not like you're away from your spouse at a men's retreat or something you call her up and tell her what happened and you say how, did, how, how, was, how was today and she runs through what happened with the kids no this isn't like some sort of information like God doesn't know we talk to God in prayer and he talks to us in the word of God it is our means of conversation it is our means of fellowship it is the means by which we have a life changing relationship with the father that's why we pray He knows. He doesn't need to be informed. He already knows what you're going to ask, but he wants to have a relationship. He wants you to be changed in that relationship. And that's why, number two, prayer isn't twisting God's arm. (laughs) It is God's means of giving us what we need, what he already wanted and determined to give. If you think that your prayers are somehow taking the arm of God and putting it up behind his back and say, give me, give me, give me, give me, and finally says, uncle, uncle, okay, I'll give then you you don't understand prayer. You have to have a right understanding of prayer. Prayer is the means of God giving us what we need. He already knows what you need and he gives in response to your prayer what he already determined to give, what he already wanted to give. If God doesn't want to give you something, are you going to manipulate him or twist his arm into giving it to you? And notice, God knows what you need. How many times have your kids asked you for something that they didn't need? and you said no? How many times did your kids ask you for something that was bad for them, and to give it to them would be detrimental to them? So God knows what you need, and you go to Him with what we want, but He knows your needs. So you can't manipulate Him into giving you something that's bad for you. He knows what you want. He knows, and He's determined to give it. So why pray if God already knows? I'll give you one simple answer. James 4, 2. You do not have because... Oh, I, I, it's on the screen. Sorry, you could cheat now. Because you do not ask. Why don't you have what you need and what God is ready to give to you? Because you haven't asked yet. And what does your Father want from you? He wants your complete dependence upon Him for all things. And how do you show your dependence upon God. You pray. You ask. You say, God, you have to give it. I can't get it on my own. I'm dependent upon you. I'm not self-sufficient. This is why we pray. We pray because God has already determined to give, and it's his means of giving in response to our praying. And so if you think about all the things that you think are good for you, all the things that you think are good for our church, all the things you want to see happen in your life, and they're not happening, I would have one question. Have you been praying about that? Directly, sincerely, honestly, taking your request before God. Maybe we do not have because we have not asked. Now, there's more to that passage. Keep reading James chapter 4. Maybe we do not have because we ask amiss, but I'm not talking about that aspect this morning specifically. And number three, prayer isn't winning God over, it is God winning us over. In prayer, what are we doing? We rehearse who God is. We give God praise. That's what Brian did in the prayer of praise. God, you are this. God, you have done that. We praise you for this. We praise you for that. God, this is who you are. This is what you do, and we give you praise. It's a reminder as we rehearse these things of who God is. It's a reminder of what God has promised. God, you have promised that we do not have, but if I ask, you will give. If we ask for anything in your name, you will give it. Lord, we ask. Just think of the promises you bring to God in prayer. God gives an answer to prayer because God wants us to trust Him as the great giver. I've talked about being fully dependent upon Him. And so in prayer, you know the thing that has changed the most in prayer? It's not your circumstances. It's not other people. You know who's changed the most when you pray? You. Your heart has changed. Your desires are changed. Your, your, your needs and your will and your wants are changed. We'll talk about that next week when we look at what the Lord teaches us how to pray. So do you see God as a reluctant giver who needs his arm twisted, that he needs to be manipulated? No, God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because he's a cheerful giver. He's a generous God who pours out blessing after blessing on us, and sometimes he does it when we don't even pray. Have you noticed that? Have you received blessings from God you didn't pray about? So God doesn't only give us things when we pray. He is generous and He's loving. He's a kind and and generous and loving Heavenly Father. And because He's a cheerful giver, it doesn't matter necessarily how many times I pray. Now the Bible is going to talk about in Matthew 7, we're going to see persistence in prayer. But it's not, I have to ask 73 times for something and then God will give it. No, God can give it the first time, He can give it the 73rd time, He can give it after decades of prayer because God knows what you need before you ask Him. But he only needs to be asked once. And it's not a matter of how many people pray. Sometimes I think we have this idea of God's a democratic God that if I want something to happen, I have to have, if I got 1,000 people to sign the petition, he'll have to do it. If I get 10,000 people to sign the petition, okay, God, God, I asked, 10,000 people were asking for this one thing, he has to give it. No, that's not God. It's It's not a democracy. But So you're saying, don't ask other people to pray for me? Yes, ask other people to pray because in asking other people to pray for your needs, it demonstrates your your trust in God. It demonstrates your dependence on God. It lets other people know what you need so they can help you and walk alongside you. Many times, the answer to the very request we pray is found in the people we ask to pray for us. So yes, share your, your prayer requests far and wide because it should be, it needs to be, a demonstration of your dependence upon God. And people will know your needs. and People will pray for your needs. And people will sometimes themselves be the very answer to the prayer that you're asking them to pray for.